Hello and welcome to the Hall of Fame Movie Podcast. Listen to Matt Levy and Mark Rossi as they put their cinema studies degrees to good use and induct the best movies of all time into their own Hall of Fame. With no further ado, roll the camera. Hello guys, welcome to another episode of the Hall of Fame Movie Podcast. I'm joined by my co-host Mark Rossi. What's going on, Mark? Not too much, man. It's uh it's a hot one. I just finished having dinner outdoors because apparently that was the decision that was made. So, I'm slightly sticky, but I'm I'm ready ready to go. Sticky is better than a lot of different fates that could await you. You know, we don't outdoors. Di- we don't discuss these conversations prior to starting. And I always agree with you because I had to uh, do some work at uh, some outdoor work at my office today and I I wanted to shower and change yeah. after that cuz it was pretty gross. Yeah, man, it was like it's it's just well, I was having a conversation with my parents, my dad's like, "Oh man, it was supposed to rain and we got we got lucky." I'm like, "Did we?" It's, <laughs> it's pretty it's pretty humid and gross as a result. I think I think I'd rather that it was raining and that we were eating inside. Because, well, you know, the good reasons. news, Mark, is there were no icebergs in sight when you were outside. Exactly. Silver linings. You have to you have to take what you can get. <laughs> well, Mark, for people with my subtle hints or who didn't really read the title of this week's episode, we're talking about the Titanic 1997. James Cameron, Leonardo DiCaprio, Kate Winslet. It's both a disaster film. It's a historical film. It's a romantic. It's a, it's a romantic drama. Mark, what do you got? Titanic. I think it's funny that for the longest time, one of the biggest disasters in in American history, or you know, international, right? There was there was a tra- it was transatlantic cruise, but that that large disaster turned into the biggest success in Hollywood worldwide. Well, not even just Hollywood, worldwide box office history, you know, over two billion dollars. So the movie about a disaster that was supposed to be a disaster becomes the biggest success of all time. Yeah, it's this monster love romantic epic. When you say yeah. epic, because it, it hits when anything it hits the three hour mark, it becomes an epic. Yeah. But you're right. I don't think anyone had this pegged as being this big money making movie, and it was the most actually expensive film made at the time, as far as the production, the the remaking of of the of the quarters of the ship and the different areas of the ship, and then also making a creating a, a ship as well for filming, and then all the CGI work that was done, which Cameron coming off of Terminator 2 and and some other stuff he's done. This movie has a lot of things going against it, but still ends up being one of the biggest successes to date. Yeah, it seems like all the things that that critics say were working against it ended up kind of working in its favor to be this, you know, perfect melting pot for all different audiences to be able to relate to the film, right? You have the, the love story, I mean, people talk about how this movie was successful because of all the teenage girls and Leo Fever and them seeing it multiple times, and that's going to be part of it. But it just had, a, like, a really positive audience response. Men and women alike, of all ages, really related to the story. You had phenomenal special effects. You had kind of just a, a, a rags-to-riches type of story, and, and that for the character of Jack. And you also still have this really moving romance that kind of goes against 
against the Oz and against the class system at the time. So uh, there's a there's a lot of different elements there that I think it it was able to relate to different audiences, and that's really also on the backs of having two really fantastic, attractive, relatable stars that can act their faces off. So, Mark, there's a lot to unravel there, some great points. The first, I would say, to your point, that, yeah, this is, it is a disaster film. It is the retelling of the Titanic story, which is a true story. So a lot of this is based on true events. Obviously, there's some fictional characters added, but they have basically this fictional story about this Romeo and Juliet type story happening on a ship that's destined to go down. So most people know what's going to happen before they start watching this movie. But it's what you said. It's these two captivating leads who were more or less unknown. Leo Mania and Leo Frenzy, like you said, hadn't hadn't started. He had done some stuff, but he was not a household name by any means. And Kate Winslet was a nobody. So I agree with you. These two leads, I think they really make or break this movie. Definitely they do. Yeah, and it's not only just the the individual performances there. You have to believe in their chemistry. You have to kind of believe there's something there that you're going to root for them to to kind of defy the odds and to carry the story throughout. So that's, again, a credit to the two of them. And I think by happenstance, the way that they ended up having to structure the filming and the way that the two of them approached like their meeting and their chemistry and the way that they acted together as a, a unit and how they collaborated together really kind of pops on the screen. Yeah, I, I couldn't I couldn't have said that better myself. When you look back at, at Leo, he's he's a baby here. And like you yeah. said, the frenzy for for. I was, I think, in middle school when this movie right. came out, and I was jealous of, of two people in the world, and that was Jonathan Taylor Thomas, because oh my God, yeah. <laughs> every, every girl I knew thought he was the cutest boy in, in the world from Home Improvement, and then number two was Leo broke out in the scene, and I hated this movie for no reason whatsoever. <laughs> I, I don't think I saw it initially, and the movie stayed in theaters for, it seemed like years, but it was probably right. months. No, it was and like I, a year, which is the craziest part. It was close to a year, I thought. Yeah. Yeah. So I did eventually see it in theaters, but I had people in my in my classes that said they saw it three, four, five times within the first month or two. Yeah, I I think I saw it. I, I'm trying to remember when I saw it in the run. I know it wasn't immediate. I feel like it was probably around the same like month, maybe two months into the run. Theatrical run for it though was crazy because it was out on video super late because it was still in theaters. I think it was at least 10 months into his run. It's still in theaters and still, like, not in 5% or 10% of theaters, like, still in 75, 80% of the theaters that it had opened in, which is insane to think of, especially and now. It's also difficult for movie theaters when you have a movie that's this long. Right. It, it takes up a lot of slots and they can't show the movie as many times. So they were showing this movie up yeah. until midnight showings that would let out at 3, 4 o'clock in the morning. So you're right. right. This movie was everywhere and they were showing it all day and night. Right. And then when kind of trying to, to peruse my brain and figure out what, like when and where I saw it, I think I saw it like around two months into the run and I saw it at the smallest theater in like a 30 mile radius from my house. My uncle took me to see it. And then eventually my parents saw it when it came out on video on the smallest TV in our house. So we have like this amazingly huge big budget epic film that we watched on the smallest screens possible for no apparent reason. Yeah, I think that's mostly forgotten. I think people forget 
some of the CGI of this movie, some of the special right. effects, because it's it's known for, like you said, the class system, the story, the love story. Eventually, them the 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 romance, the that it's not a happy ending. Spoiler, <laughs> but it's it's not remembered for some of these special effects. But like you said, to see this a disaster film on a big screen is always the goal. I think you could lump that in. We talked last week about horror films watching on the big screen, comedies seeing the big screen, but also right. like disaster films where you see. Right big things go wrong it's it's always jaw dropping to see the spectacle of it definitely i mean whenever you have a film that has epic in its descriptors i think it it it's you know inherently going to be better on a big screen right you have this type of a film where you have these the cgi it's the the greatest cruise ship ever made and all these different things and then you see when the Titanic hits the iceberg and is going down, just the destruction of the Titanic is still kind of like amazing and captivating to watch. So yeah, it's it's something that that really is a is the reason why theaters like are are so great, right? Seeing seeing something on a big screen and having the the audio and the audience and everything like that is like it's just yeah, it as, makes as, it a fantastic experience. As good as home theaters get. There's right. still certain things that you want to see with that specific experience in mind. So right. I definitely think back on disaster films and in, at least just in our lifetime even. And I think about certain movies. There's the, the, the Jake Gyllenhaal movie. Was that 2012? What is that one called? 20, 2000? What is that one called? It's escaping me now. Oh, so the Gyllenhaal, that was the day after tomorrow. And then oh. you had the John Cusack 2012. Thank you. Thank you. I thank got you. you. So those, I got you. You got my back. So those two came out actually like pretty close time frames i remember yeah within a few years of each other yeah within a few years then you got movies like armageddon you got the uh, the, the one with the big wave what was that one called deep deep impact, impact. so Which like was like the same year <laughs> it was like the same year armageddon yeah. and deep impact so there's there's been you know dozens of disaster film throughout the right. 90s and 2000s because i think they were showing off special effects showing off what a lot of what they could do with these summer blockbuster type movies this was one of the you know, first big disaster movies, but I don't think it's remembered as a disaster, you know, film. No, I think it's remembered more as just like a, a romance film that happens in the, the backdrop with the backdrop being this epic disaster type of a scenario. Yeah. Right? So let's get back to Leo for a second. We jumped on Leo mania. We've talked about Leo on this podcast several times. He's obviously not at the peak of his powers here yet, but he is no slouch. I feel, still think mm-hmm. for a young actor, he gives a fantastic performance here. Yeah, I think if we take um, inconsistencies with the the vocal the vocalizations of the time period, which I, I don't I'm not a stickler for as much as as others, but if you look at just the human element of it, right, we're we're trying to go through the human experience of being basically lower lower class and being able to win a ticket onto this voyage of the greatest ship ever and going to America and then meeting what would essentially be the love of his life on top of that, on that journey, right? You're interested in the human element of it. And I think he portrays that really well, being like uh, a young struggling artist who, who gets his, gets his big ticket to the, basically like an invitation to the, the top of the top of the class, you know? Absolutely. And then to pair him up with Kate Winslet, who was really an unknown. And I think, She's become one of the great actresses of her time, but absolutely has. I still think the performance she gives here is also top notch for someone of her age, of her experience. 
I don't think anyone, like you said, yes, these accents, inconsistencies, things like that for young actors are not uncommon, but I think her performance is great. Yeah, she's another one, and that's something that was evident from this performance, and it's something that's been kind of a staple of her performances since that time, is that she really encapsulates that type of humanity. And with, like, her character of Rose, you have a... I think she's in her teens, right? She's like 17, She's supposed 18. to be 17, yeah, getting right. married off to a 30-year-old. Right, and being aware and educated, but being aware that she's being led into a life that she feels trapped by, and then feeling that type of freedom and finding this you know, other person that allows her to you know, kind of feel that freedom of being her own person and coming into her own that inspires her to live the life that she always wants to live that you see you know, leading up to her being Gloria Stewart. Right, but, like, it, she does such a great job of kind of, I'd say, portraying the struggle of wanting to do the right thing and and being committed to someone there and also still wanting to be her own person, having this desire to experience all these different things at yeah, the same time. and I think she conveys that really well. Cast-wise, besides that, there's there's obviously a big ensemble full of characters here, I'd say the most noteworthy is probably Billy Zane, who is sort of the right. antagonist of the film. Yeah, a super antagonist. Very, very, very easy to dislike in the film. And obviously, nothing personal, Billy Zane. But you did a great job being a, piece, <laughs> a real piece of work. Yeah, but outside of that, everyone in these type of historical type films where they're trying to recreate pieces of history, you always have different people playing you almost don't want too many people that you recognize because you want to feel like these are real people from that time. Absolutely. So when I look back at this movie, I'm not seeing 25 or 30 different well-known actors. I'm seeing a lot of people that almost look and feel like they, they are this person, if that makes right. any sense. Right, and I think you you kind of nail it on the head there, that having two actors that are known kind of a little bit but aren't well-known, well-established actors allows you to just associate the, the, the actor with the character, right? For a long time, Leonardo DiCaprio after this movie was, was Jack Dawson. For a long time after this, Kate Winslet was like Rose to Whip Bucator. Like, they were those characters, and I think that's what really makes it work is that you're not focused on, oh, this is this actor, you're just kind of get it allows you to lose yourself into the story and the characters and the emotions and the experiences they're going through yeah i absolutely agree so moving on from the cast mark i would jump next to the the sound the the music of this film and that's another spot here where the titanic just killed it it knocked out of the park do you want to give us a little bit on the titanic music kind of what yeah. it did here Sure. Well, this, the score is really excellent. It's done by James Horner, who's worked, obviously, with James Cameron before. And James Cameron, obviously, is not the easiest person to work with, whether it's on the film or collaborating with the, with the soundtrack. But James Horner does a great job, I think. The, the soundtrack kind of heightens the excitement, right? It captures the excitement of being on this amazing ship. And then it, it'd be remiss not to mention, obviously, My Heart Will Go On, which James Horner also penned for this and they were able to get Celine Dion to do which has become one of her signature songs and a career of signature songs and ballads to have 
this end up being one of the biggest ones as the lead single for a soundtrack is again something rare and and kind of amazing famously i think celine dion had mentioned to one of her like collaborative partners at the time david foster a famous like music producer that she was thinking of doing this he's like don't don't sing that that's going to be a, a disaster no yeah and even to do that and even james cameron thought by having this song attached to the film that he'd be almost like selling out right. because he didn't thought he didn't think that it had it felt like as part of the movie and mm-hmm. now you can't think or say titanic without thinking about my heart will go on it's synonymous the two are one and the same right and uh legend has it and i don't think it's ever been f- truly confirmed that the demo that Celine Dion sent in for My Heart Will Go On ended up being the recording. Like, they didn't re-record it. The demo she did was it. Damn, so, girl, you good. <laughs> she, she's, a, she's a one-taker. That's why we love her. Uh, but that's, like, another level. Just be like, yeah, I'm just going to record this demo, and you maybe if you guys like it, I can do it again. They're like, nope, this is it. You nailed that's, it. We got that's it. That's one of those stories or rumors that... I don't know if it is true, but you like you want it to be true, and you yeah. just it's you just expect it to be true. It's been I, I'll say in, in in defense of the legend is that it has been corroborated by a few other people, like three or four different sources have said no, she like never recorded again. This is it. Like she sent in the demo, they took the vocals from that demo, and that's the single. So who am I to say differently? Well, it won all sorts of Grammys and Academy Awards. This movie won a lot in all fields, but. Just talk about the music here. That song and the soundtrack itself was was super successful. I mean, selling millions of copies and riding high on the billboards that year. So the music, you can't say enough about. Now, something that I always appreciate anytime you're watching anything historical, whether it's uh, Tarantino's newest Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, or if you're watching any other period piece, I always appreciate them recreating that time, that place, the setting with the costumes, the makeup, everything that goes into the props. And this movie, I think, does such a freaking good job of recreating what it must have been like to not only live in that time, but be on the Titanic. Right. Yeah, I I completely agree with you. They do a great job, I think, with the scenery. They do a great job with the costume design and everything like that. And I think also kind of catching the spectacle of seeing a ship off, right? Like, imagining that now, there are, like, several comedians that have kind of done bits about it. It's like, hey, what are you doing this Thursday? Oh, we're just going to go over to a port and just wave goodbye to strangers that are on a cruise. But, like, it's 100% believable. And, like, the way that they capture it on film in Titanic, I buy it. I'm like, yeah, if I were there in the time, I think I'd be one of those idiots waving goodbye, too, to all these strangers having this great time be like oh my god this is so exciting it looks like an event i've been on cruise ships and it's it's pretty amazing when you're on a ship that is that big because you feel like you're on a hotel or floating island it's it's that amazing so i can imagine at that time we're talking about 100 years prior to now imagining a ship of that size like you said it was probably a spectacle to even just to watch yeah, I think people, I could see why people would be excited to be like, this is basically like an, an a floating island that you get to, to enjoy a cruise on. And just to be you know in the presence of it had to be kind of like overwhelming. Uh, and then obviously it becomes overwhelming historically in retrospect in a very different light. But still, it, it they capture it really well. And the costumes are great. It looks like most of the women can't breathe, but that... It feels like that's been something that they were dealing, women were dealing with for, I don't know, 
200 years in America after after America started being a country. So, yeah, the, the costumes are great. I, I think they do a phenomenal job of capturing the essence of the time period. I, I couldn't agree more. And that's why all of those significant categories were recognized by the Academy and one, as I said, at the Golden Globes. And it set records for these things. Return of the King, the Lord of the Rings movie, is the only movie after this to, I believe, win as many or nominate as many awards because right. just across the board, this movie was recognized. Everything except, I think, Leo is the only thing that wasn't nominated. Every, every other person and right. uh, director and screenplay, I think actually screenplay was the only other thing that wasn't nominated. But everything else here had been recognized and most of them won. I mean, this movie was a juggernaut and you want to use the word Titanic of a film because it did so many things well. It has a believable, really captivating love story. It's a tearjerker, which yeah. everyone loves a good tearjerker. There's, there's jokes about this movie that it's a movie that even men will cry at. Yeah, I, I mean, it's 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 kind of hard to ignore the the impact of the human story itself there and again i think it really ties into not only the the strength of the acting itself but the smart decision and sticking with having relative unknowns so that you just care about the story instead of thinking about oh it's this person there which is another testament to how well they executed everything in the film is that it turned them into stars it wasn't it wasn't a success because of the stars. It was because of the sex, the success of the movie that they became stars. This was a movie that was not supposed to work because of so many reasons. It had gone way past the production budget. It had gone way over the amount of time it was supposed to take to produce. They were supposed to release this movie in the summer, and they pushed it back to basically like Thanksgiving, I think. And that's not usually a good thing. When there's delays and, right. and things getting pushed back, that's usually because there's problems. But... You're right. Everything was really going against this movie, and it ended up being a ginormous success. It's had multiple re-releases, home video. This movie, there was a time where you could check like three or four different channels, and it was on almost all year round. Right. You yeah, know? and it, it seemed like, especially when you put it on a, a cable release, v, v, I'm going to date our, myself here. When it came out on home release, it was on VHS, and it was one of the rare releases that was uh, two VHS type of release so like blockbuster had to have like rubber bands to have the two vhs's together and you got to you know end of it and it's like insert tape two but then when you had it on cable because you added in commercials and even though they edited it down a little bit it was like four and a half or five hours in, on these channels so you could air it like twice a day <laughs> yeah no you're absolutely right and there's a couple of things from the movie that i want to bring up mark and get kind of your opinion on number one you got Rose at the end floating on her, you know, floating by herself. And there's no room for Jack. So he's sitting there basically freezing and getting hypothermia to death. And I feel mm -hmm. like the biggest meme and joke in movie, one of the biggest jokes in movie history that really you can't make room for him. I am so glad that you decided to bring this up because I'm going to defend Rose's honor. They did a fans of Mythbusters will have seen it. They did a Mythbusters episode where they dedicate an entire segment to this. And yes, both of them could have fit onto that piece of wood or like looked essentially like a headboard. But 
The buoyancy of it would not have supported both of them and it would have sunk. The only way that it would have worked is if if they had taken off the life vest from Rose, put it under it, tied it around it to allow the buoyancy. They needed the extra buoyancy to be able to support both of them. So no way in hell they would have figured <laughs> that out on the fly while freezing. And they did the right thing because as he gets on there, you see the wood starting to sink there. They did like an experiment. And it supports that that truth. So if both of them were on there, that piece of wood would have sunk down and they would have been completely screwed, both of them. So Rose is getting the short end of the stick, as it so frequently happens there. Uh, she did everything. They did everything right. Awesome. I love the rant. That was great. <laughs> so there's a couple of famous movie quotes in this movie. And I'm going to put you on the spot and see if you can come up with one of the two I'm thinking of, if you can think of one or two of them. has to be on the King of the World, right? King of the World is definitely one of them. Those are one of the two I was thinking. And the other one takes place in the scene we just just, just talked about. I'll never let go. I never let go, go, Jack. Yeah. In, fa- in fairness to the people that are angry, she does immediately let go after she says, I'll never let go. That's true. Well, she does. They do <laughs> say it earlier in the film. So they, they right. kind of they brought it back. And I would say the other iconic thing is probably them standing at the top of the ship and you know, holding her up there. There's a couple of iconic moments, iconic quotes in this movie. It is long, but I think you've said this before. It, it doesn't necessarily feel as long as the movie's runtime leads you to believe. Yeah, it's it's a long movie, but I think it hums along pretty well. You're you're kind of moving between the love story, the issues with class, the impending disaster, moving back to the present, trying to figure out who is this old lady and what's the story that she's telling and all of these different things at the same time. So I think it keeps your your interest and they keep moving between the different timelines, the different stories well enough that it it never feels like it's dragging. You know, even though it's it's over three hours long, I don't think it ever feels like it's dragging. And like you said, that's why it is surprising that it did make as much money as it did, that as many people went to see it as they did and saw it over and over again. Because a movie that long is usually you see it once or twice and you're like, all right, I'm good for like 10 years on that movie. Right. You know, I think it's interesting when Avengers Endgame came out, there were all these different Internet pages devoted to. Here are all the different times you can go to the bathroom because you can't make it through like a three hour plus movie. I don't remember. And again, I was on the Internet at the time. I don't remember there being this big thing of, oh, what am I going to get to pee during this movie? Like, (laughs) do we have like bladder issues now that we didn't have (laughs) 20 years ago? I don't know. But I don't remember there being this like, guys, we need to find. Just tell me the times in Titanic where I can go pee for a minute and a half. I'm not going to miss too much. I can think, you Mark, tell me the scenes. I think because the older we get, the harder it is to to go the distance with some of that. I guess. And so. when you're young, you can go four, five, six hours and and not even think about it. Right, but I don't think there was the the desire for that from even <laughs> you know the crowd that would be our age at that yeah. time or older. Right. I just so, think it's interesting. So this movie as we were talking about, was was super successful. At the time, it actually made more money than any movie ever. And if you adjusted for inflation today, it'd be the fifth highest grossing film. And the movie that eventually surpassed this was Avatar, another James Cameron film. So he obviously knows how to attract audiences. And then Marvel, some Marvel films did, yeah, did a bump. A couple of them did bump them, but this movie was re-released in 3D, IMAX, different type of, of places you could see it. And every time it's released, people go out to see this movie again, Mark. Yeah, I've 
on the re-releases there, because I remembered just seeing it initially only on on that small screen. It was the Herrick's movie theater for people on Long Island. Very small movie theater. So when it came back out a few years ago on the re-release, I, I, I saw it on a big screen. And seeing it like an IMAX screen was just a completely different experience. I think if I'd seen it at that time, I would have liked it even more than I did. Although you couldn't say it too loud because all, all the boys that were like 11 at the time would be like, you like Titanic? And I'd be like, I'm just going to go to the girls and talk to the girls that like it because I'm like, I'm five-heading this and you guys don't even know yet. You're, you're, you're so many layers ahead. You were so right? far ahead. I didn't even realize it. I'm like, I just want to talk about Titanic. Can you talk about Titanic? They're like, yeah. And they're like, wait, right? he's That, that would have been a really good line back in the day. Right? You know, right? That would have been a good... The funniest part is it wasn't even a line. I was just <laughs> looking for people to talk about Titanic too, and there were no dudes that were willing to do it. So, Mark, we talked about uh, the music. We talked about the casting. We talked about some of the great historical significance and how they represented that with costumes, makeups, scenery, things like that. Special effects. We talked briefly about some of the themes that this movie touches upon, which is some deep stuff. It, it really does. It, it really is a complete film. There's really few areas where you can say Titanic doesn't give you that because this movie, it really, there's something for everyone here. It, yeah, I would I would certainly agree with that. I think I I think I've I've kind of um, not given enough credit to to James Cameron. I think in our discussion so far, me personally, I'm not a huge James James Cameron fan in in general. But it's hard to argue with the results here. And even though he has a reputation of being a big yeller on set and kind of being like an authoritarian type of director. He he really put himself out there with this film to get it made the way that he wanted it to be made. And he put himself in in the line of fire with the studio. He, there were all these different reshoots and additions to the budget and delays in the production time schedule. And they were trying to figure out, well, we're, we might just, we might not, we're never going to make m money on this thing. We might just have to scrap it. And he's like, if you want me to cut this movie, you're going to have to fire me. And to fire me, you're going to have to kill me. So uh, for all the things that are said about James Cameron, you can't, you can't deny that this was a project of, of passion and of love for him. And he was willing, willing to put his neck on the line, almost literally. He was to, willing to, to get was, it made the way that he wanted it to be made. He was willing to fall on the sword. He was willing yeah. to cough up his own money he had uh, really become a historian studying the right. people that were on the boat the survivors the accounts of what happened he really and I like you I'm not the biggest James Cameron fan but it's hard to argue with what he's done when you look at Terminator 2 Aliens Avatar Titanic whether you like these movies or not the results are there these movies are successful and whether you think they're 10 out of 10s, 9 out of 10s, 8 out of 10s, these are well-made films. And it has been said that he's a bit militant on, on, on set, that he, he says that making a movie is sometimes like a war-type right. situation. So he, he definitely doesn't say the most PC things for 2021. We're, we're in an age now where we want directors to treat cast and crew a little better right. than it seems like he did back during these movies. Mm -hmm. But... I think people do respect what he's trying to make and what he's trying to do. Right. Yeah, there's something to be said. I, again, we were talking about the collaborative process between Kate Winslet and, and Leonardo DiCaprio. And there is certain collaborative types of, I think, collaborative efforts that were made between director and cast and crew. But James Cameron is definitely, for this film and for his career, known as someone that has a specific 
vision in mind and will tell you if you're not doing it right. It's not like, oh, let's go off script for this. He's not usually going to be that type of guy. He says, I want this shot this way. You're going to do it this way. And again, I think a lot of people still end up respecting him and, and working with him because that type of dedication isn't just, just something for show. It's something that he he puts his money where his mouth is quite literally when it, they're coming up against the studio. Then they're saying, well, money's got to come out of somewhere. He's like, all right, take my profit share. That's yeah. So it's one thing to be an authoritarian and, and say, you have to do it this way. You have to do it this way. And this is my film. I want it this way. And I'm willing to do whatever it takes. And then actually being willing to do whatever it takes. Yeah. Putting so, your money where your mouth is, is definitely right. a powerful move. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. James Cameron, love him or hate him. You got to respect what he's done. They say that his shoots at the end of the film, which I don't know what sequence when they filmed it, but the end scene where they're all floating there on the water, survivors and, and not. They said cast and crew and many people got sick, got flus. People are spending. Right. It was very, very cold, they say. Right. And Kate Winslet was outspoken and said that she wouldn't do another James Cameron movie until she was rich. And she was half joking, but she said that it was a tough shoot, that it was very challenging. Leonardo DiCaprio didn't say it was that bad. He kind of said that's par for the course. But we've learned through the years that Leo is willing to highly discipline himself when making certain films. But uh, yeah, I mean, he he gets the results. He gets the shot he wants, whether that means people might have to tough it out a little bit. Right. And again, it. It's we're looking at it from a different perspective now than they would have looked at it in, in 1997. But again, I think you're 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 more willing as a cast member to overlook certain things or to deal with it if it if the person shows that they're as dedicated to the film as they're pushing you to be right. So if you have someone that's saying, oh, well, this is a piece of art we're doing this because it's going to be something fantastic. And then they're like, oh, well, I'll just cut a couple people from the movie so that we can make the budget instead of you know, offering up literally their profits there and offering up their own money. I think you're a little bit less willing to deal with all the crazy, insane types of things and, and the, the stresses of the shoot. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. So, Mark, looking back on 1997's Titanic, like you, I don't think I gave it, gave it the necessary credit that it's due. I think the world probably does. I think this movie definitely gets the credit it deserves. But I, I think I'll definitely look at it back more fondly now, appreciating some of the things that this movie has done really, really well. And it's not a fluke. It's not like people were just seeing this movie to to cash in on something. This is this is a really good quality movie, and it deserves all the, the success that it got. I completely agree. I think looking at it and getting to kind of revisit it, you see that it's it's a love story that really works well. And it just so happens to be a phenomenal epic type of film as well, an epic disaster movie at the same time. But us kind of having to to appreciate it more a little bit later than other people have is appropriate for this film because it didn't have phenomenal reception in early screenings when it was initially released at an international festival critics were not high on this film at all james cameron himself was saying like he when he offered up his profit share he's like there's no way this it's a it's a given he said it's a given this movie's gonna lose the studio a hundred million dollars so they're like it's a completely empty gesture so 
even when you have the, the most ardent believer in the film kind of thinking, well, we're probably not going to make any money off of this thing, but at least I'm going to get to make the film I want to make. It took a lot. It took everyone a, a little while to to come onto the side that now that now everyone seems to be on. Yeah, no, definitely. So, Mark, any closing thoughts on the film before we put this one to bed? I think it's created one of the great in real in life in real life friendships of two different actors with Leonardo DiCaprio and Kate Winslet. They're adorably supportive of each other to this day. They love each other to death. And I think that is reflected in the work they did together at that time and gave us one of the great love stories. I think, I think will be known going forward as one of the great love stories of all time. People now in like common colloquialism will refer to a couple as a real Jack and Rose love story. So that tells you everything you need to know. Yeah, this movie has become a part of film history and it has been you know, recognized for a lot of the great things it did. And I think, like you said, Leo and Kate are at the forefront. They are what's remembered most about this film is their, their portrayals, their performances and their careers. It was almost synonymous. The, the rise of them in this movie is the rise of their careers and everything that follows. So yeah, I, I think you, you said it great. We'll put a giant iceberg sized bow on this episode, Mark. And if you want to let everyone know, where can people find you on the grand old internet? If you're looking for me on the internet, I still stream at twitch.tv slash Ursus Fidelis. You can find me on social media at twitter.com or instagram.com slash Ursus Fidelis TV. Very cool. So, Mark, I, as always, thank you so much for joining me. This is super fun. We are what seems like 30 episodes in give or take i'm not looking yeah. at the exact number right now but we're, we're we're cruising we're trying to avoid icebergs if we can and we we got some fun stuff i know you and me are talking about for future episodes so we got some more fun movies ahead so hope you guys do tune in subscribe leave a review do all that good stuff and we'll see you guys all next time thanks for joining us guys see you next time from mark and matt Thank you for listening to the Hall of Fame Movie Podcast. Check us out on Instagram at Hall of Fame Pod or email us at thehalloffamepod at gmail.com. Please leave us a review and be sure to tune in next time. <laughs> <laughs>